What's up, guys? It's Matt from the Hotbox Podcast. This is your special series number seven from the 2010 Helena MMGA Cannabis Conference. Uh, you're going to first hear Talon Lang, the chapter director of the Missoula Medical Growers Association. Uh, with him, Pam Bruchard, they will be speaking about outstanding customer service how to really give it your all and please your customers, your people you're giving care to. Then after that, you'll hear from Grant Redfield uh, all about grow room safety and business operations. Uh, And then at the end of that, you'll hear a little bit from JB, who is with Greenpoint Insurance. You can insure your dispensaries and your grows. Did you know that, people? Educate. This is great. Uh, this is the last one uh, from the talks there. Apparently the camera ran out of film, so um, yeah. Hope you guys have enjoyed them. Uh, there's tons there. I've spent lots of hours on this, so if you do enjoy them uh, and you've gotten anything out of this, definitely show some love. Uh, hotboxpodcast.com slash donate. And uh, I do apologize. The audio quality for this talk, uh, more so in the second half of it, is not that good. But uh, I cleaned it up really well. You should hear the original. So, uh, yeah, here you go and enjoy. With just a few customer truths, um, there are a lot of companies who spent tons and tons and tons of money in many, many, many research studies to find out the information that I'm going to give to you right now for free. Um, Poor service is the number one reason that companies lose business. And 68% of customers stop doing business with a company because of poor service. An even uh, more shocking thing here is that 90% of those customers who stop doing business never make an attempt to tell the company why they stop doing business. They just leave. If they experience a poor customer service experience, well, they don't bother to tell you about it. They just take off and they go somewhere else. 70% of customers never complain at all because they believe either A, it's not worth their time, they believe that B, the business won't listen, or C, the company is not going to do anything about that complaint. Okay, That's kind of a sad state of affairs, right? The average dissatisfied customer tells 9 to 10 other uh, other people about their dissatisfaction. This is really important because a customer will tell somebody else, a friend, a relative, somebody else that you may be a potential customer of yours about a bad experience that they've had much more often than a good customer service. And for them to tell somebody about a good customer service experience, that experience has to be stellar, way above and beyond for them to tell somebody about it. Think about your own experiences. Um, How many times have you been at the drive-thru and gotten bad customer service at McDonald's or something else like that? You get back to the office and you're like, can't wait to tell everybody about it, right? But if somebody does something really, really nice for you, you go, oh, well, that was kind of good. You're you're less apt to tell tell people about it. One of the things here for us, especially as small businesses, this is incredibly important. It costs between five to ten times as much to attract a new customer as it does to keep an old one. You have marketing, you have everything that you need to do to attract that customer to your business. So it's much more costly to attract new customers than it is to keep the customers that you already have. Some more customer service facts and figures here. The first 60 seconds of contact establish a customer's impression of your business and you. You always have to remember that you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Okay. 
Be aware of this at all times. Be aware of this in the way that you uh, present yourself to your community, to the way that you present yourself to your customers. You never get a second chance to make a first impression with those fine folks. Another thing, too, that, that came in in this research is that customers will actually pay more for better service. That's been shown time and time and time again. So if you're providing a superior level of customer service, okay, to this guy over here, you can actually charge more for your services, and people will pay more for your services than they will for this guy over here simply because of their customer service experience. 95% of dissatisfied customers would do business again with a company if their problems were solved quickly and to their satisfaction. Okay? That tells us something that's incredibly important. If we have a problem, we're able to identify that problem and fix it, our customers will continue to be our customers. Well, at least 95% of them will be. Every person involved in your business, from the owner to temporary help, is involved in sales. We have to remember that too as, as small business owners here, that everybody that's involved within our organization is a representative of our organization. Everybody's a salesperson from the grower, even if they don't, you know, they may run into people in the community. We're, Montana's a very, very small state. There's only a million of us here, okay? We're very, very tight-knit communities. So the person that is your producer or your grower, okay, even though they may not be in your storefront and having direct interaction with your customer, is still involved in that sales process. And customers will tell a business where it needs improvement. All you have to do is ask them how to make your service more pleasurable, convenient, and suitable. Now, that's the trick, is that customers will tell you, but they won't tell you until you ask. So it's very important to, to ask your customers, how am I doing? What am I doing well? What could I improve? And they'll let you know, and then take that information and use it. Why do we need good customer service anyway? I mean, we're, we're providing medical cannabis for, for patients in need, right? Um, they're, they're probably going to come to us regardless. Isn't that correct? Well, uh, there's been a lot of proliferation in our, in our industry. There's lots and lots more businesses that are starting up every day. Okay? Customer service and the way that you take care of your patients, who are your customers, that's the lifeblood of your business. If you're not doing it right, then your business is not going to survive. Customers will relay a bad customer service experience more often than a good one, and we already went over that a little bit. So it's very important to make sure that you're providing that good customer service consistently over and over again. If you don't take care of your customers, well, you better be darn right that there's going to be somebody else out there who's waiting for those customers. Um, this little phone thing that I says here, if you can't read it in the back, has a phone that's all cobwebbed up and it says apathy. If we don't take care of the customer, maybe they'll stop bugging us. Well, yeah, they probably will. They're probably not going to bug you anymore, and they're going to go somewhere else. And besides all of that, which is, is really important for your business, happy, satisfied customers are much, much more fun to interact with than dissatisfied customers. Wouldn't we all agree on that? Sure, absolutely. We do have a little bit that I would like to add. Um, one of the things that, that we are always looking for is, is new and better ways to help people out. We do that, and it is part of our customer service model. But one of the things that is so important, and Taylor touched on it, is asking questions and listening to the answers. I have a lot of patients who tell me, I tried to tell my caregiver that that wasn't working for me, but he just kept giving me whatever he had on hand. 
This is a big issue in our industry, and I think it's a very important one. Ask those questions and listen to the responses that you get, not only in the area of are you doing a good job, but also what works for me. Um, because as, as you said earlier, your patients will be glad to tell you. They will be glad to tell you, you know, uh, that what I got from you last week worked a lot better than what I got from you two weeks ago or vice versa, or this just isn't working, can we do something else? But so many people don't want to just open up and say, gosh, I don't want to tell my caregiver that didn't really work all that well for me. They said it was good stuff. Um, So you have to ask those questions, because a lot of people don't want to bother you with their problems. And then we all know about the patients who do like to bug us with all of their problems, of course. And and that's something that's really incredibly important, too, as well. Pam brought that up, is that each person's individual body chemistry is going to be very different. What's going to be good medicine for me is going to be different from what's good medicine from you. And what I may think is just fantastic and works really well for me might not do a darn thing for you because your internal body chemistry is different. Your endocannabinoid system is is going to use that medicine differently. So it's very important for us to talk and also listen. How can we provide outstanding customer service every day? Well, the biggest thing for us to understand and realize is that customer service just doesn't happen. It's something that you actually have to be proactive about. You have to decide on a plan of action and then commit to it. Okay? Proper prior planning does no good if you don't implement what you're, uh, what you're trying to do. So you need to implement policies and procedures to deal with potential problems. Think about what problems you may have or you may be experiencing or, or your patients may be experiencing and think of a contingency plan for each of those problems. If you do that, then you're well prepared and you're going to be able to serve your patients and customers' needs much better. Um, and the biggest thing about that as well, too, is once you have an internal policy set into place, Train your employees. I know that I've started many, many, many jobs where I've walked in there and they just said, okay, well, here it is. This, this is your job. Just go ahead and do it. Without training you at all, okay? How many of us feel comfortable in that kind of a situation where we're just floundering? It's not, it's not efficient use of time or resources. Have a training program in place to be able to train your employees so that they're prepared uh, to be able to provide that customer service. In this uh, little graphic here, I have a customer software service top 10. These are 10 things that I believe are incredibly important for each and every one of us to be mindful of when we're thinking about developing a customer service program. First one here is appearance. As we said before, you only get one chance to make a first impression. Appearance is an incredibly important thing. Uh, I wear a shirt and tie just like this to work each and every day. And yes, I slave all day over a hot scale wearing a shirt and tie. Um, I do that because it's incredibly important for me to present this image of medical cannabis to my community. This is my first impression. This is what I get to show the community is, I'm a cannabis uh, distributor. I'm a caregiver. Me, here, in this time, looking at you. I'm not just, you know, Joe the hippie, whatever, which is fine for some people, but the image that I'm trying to portray is a very, very professional one in my industry. Second thing is attitude. Attitude is learned behavior, okay? It's very easy to have a bad attitude or to just be, you know, not caring or anything else like that. It actually takes a lot of training to learn to care. You can change your attitude 
just by making that conscious decision each and every day to be positive in your attitude. Third thing here is friendliness. Be generous. Give smiles unconditionally. People always respond much, much better to a smiling, friendly face than they do a grimacing, nasty one. Okay? Um, some people are, are into the abuse and all that kind of stuff, but you know the majority of us aren't. Okay? Impression. This one is incredibly powerful. The impression is what people think and say and feel about you after you've left the room. Wow, right? So if we leave a good, strong impression with those people, they're going to think highly of us after we leave, rather than going in, and, and, and we may go in, and we might be quite personable, okay, and make a terrible first impression on them, but be able to talk to them, and they kind of warm up to us, but then after we leave, they say, yeah, you know, boy, that guy, he, he said a lot of things that sounded kind of okay, but, you know, there's just something about him that just doesn't sit right with me. So leaving that impression on people is incredibly powerful. Responsibility, okay? Taking action and exceeding your customers' expectations. Well, we can all provide a base level of service, but if we have the ability to respond to our customers' needs and actually exceed what their expectations are, then they're going to be they're going to be pleased. They're going to be happy with us, and that level of customer service goes above and beyond the call of duty. Number six here is commitment. This is your pledge to service and teamwork. Customer service is something that you have to be committed to each and every day. It's very easy to have a bad day, you know, say, get into a fight with your significant other or, you know, run over a nail in your car on the way to work and have a flat tire and have to change it. And boy, that can just ruin your whole day. But if you're actually committed to that attitude, okay, of not letting that affect you, then that's going to go very, very far in, in, in your ability to be able to provide customer service to your customers. Seventh is team thinking. Each one of us in here, each person in this room, our attitudes affect each other. So if we have a bad attitude, well then we're going to affect the other people around us in a negative fashion. If we have a positive attitude, then what we're going to do is we're going to help support and uplift each and every one of us. Okay? And if we're all doing it, then the flywheel starts to gain momentum. And that becomes very, very, very powerful. And then if there's somebody who has a bad attitude, well, you know, they just don't fit in. And they better get a good attitude or, you know, go somewhere else. <laughs> Can I pipe in there sure. for a minute? I just thought this was a good place to share the most important piece of advice I ever got in my life. Um, I, I had the worst job, and I really was bad at it, that I ever had in my life, and that was selling knives. I was the worst knife salesman that ever walked the earth, and I don't think I sold. I sold maybe one knife during my entire brief career. career. It was awful. I stunk. But the company that I was working for was run by this happy little oriental guy who drove me crazy. He smiled. He laughed. He walked into the room with this just wonderful attitude, and I thought, man, I want some of that. I thought, that is so great. He is so happy. He never ever even, man, his dog never died. He's having a great day every day of the week, you know. So one day he had a little motivational session for all of us at this terrible job, and he said, I'm going to share with you the best piece of advice I ever got. He said that one of the most important things that you can work on in your entire life is to work on being truly happy. Not happy because I got an ice cream cone happy, but to really think about the things in your life that truly make you happy, the things that truly make you unhappy, and systematically work 
to eliminate the things that make you truly unhappy and work towards gaining more of the things that make you truly happy. He said, if you walk around that way with that idea in your head that I'm going to get rid of the things that make me unhappy and I'm going to get more of the things that make me happy, it shows on your face. It shows how you walk. And it shows when people see you on the street. It's a big piece of advice because it shows when people walk up to you to do business. Um, the eighth thing in the list here is, is something that's incredibly important, communication. Uh, we talked already about asking our customers or our patients what we need. Um, but a big part of communication is also listening. Listening. Oftentimes, and I'm, I'm probably one of the worst people at this, um, I like to talk a lot. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and sometimes I forget to listen. And that can be the most important thing because you're never going to get your feedback. And you're never going to know what's going on without listening as well as speaking. So having good communication skills are vital to providing excellent customer service. And then service is your personal commitment to make a difference, to actually putting that plan of action into action, not just having a plan. It's great if you have a plan, but if you don't implement that plan or put it into action, then it's all for naught. And last is personal excellence. Okay? The tagline on this says, I believe in my ability to make a difference. Wow, that's strong. If you don't believe that you have an ability to be able to make a difference, well, guess what? You're probably not going to make a difference. You have to know that what you're doing is important and know that what you're doing is going to affect people and people's lives and people's customer service experience. Believing in that ability to, to make a difference really, really goes far in your ability to actually do it. Now, this is uh, continuing on how to provide uh, outstanding customer service. And I have a little graphic here, which it may be a little difficult to read in the back. But on the bottom, it says, has a little a block here that says meeting basic customer requirements. Okay, This is just doing the bare minimum. All that this does is prevent customer complaints. If you're doing that, you're probably going to survive as a business, but you're really not going to flourish. The next two levels of this triangle are where you're actually really going to succeed and people will start to talk about you. The second part is satisfying unstated customer needs. These are customer needs that, that are out there. Customers need it, but it's not something that's been stated. Okay? If you're able to satisfy your customers' unstated needs, meaning thinking of something before they've even thought of it, and taking care of it for them, then you're going to develop customer confidence. They're going to know that you're there, that you're intuitive as a business, that you're thinking about what their needs are even before they know it's a need. And you're going to develop confidence in your customer and your ability to be able to provide service for them. The top level here is achieving customer delight. Okay, That builds customer loyalty. That's how we know that the patients that we have today are going to continue to be our patients tomorrow and the day after and the year after and so on and so forth. Um, you always want to aim for the highest level of satisfaction for your customers and accept nothing less because I guarantee you one thing. If you do not aim for the highest level of satisfaction with your customers, you're never going to achieve it. So aim for the highest level of customer satisfaction that you can possibly think of. That's the only way that you can to, that you can get there is by striving to get there. And don't ever take for granted your level of customer satisfaction with your customers. Okay, be sure 
Be sure of what your level of satisfaction is with them. Don't just take for granted the fact that that customer comes in once a week or you know once every other week and they come in and they make their same purchase and they do their same routine thing. Don't take for granted that that customer is satisfied. They may not be. You just may be the most convenient uh, thing or the only thing that they know about. So be sure. Ask your customers. Get that feedback from them. I have six tips here. Um, that, that can be really, really handy in developing your, your customer satisfaction policies, procedures, and, um, and putting together a customer service um, uh, uh, way of doing things. Okay? The first one here is communication. Communication with customers seems to be simple and ordinary, but be critical on your communication. Communication is more than only talking to a patient when you visit with them. Okay? Here's a couple of points to take into consideration. First, you want to show interest. How did you react to that last strain? Did that medicine work well for you? If not, uh, is there something more that you're looking into? What's your particular medical condition? Okay? There are certain strains, as we all know, that are going to work better for certain conditions and, and, and not so good for other conditions. So if you're asking questions and you're getting feedback, then you're beginning the process of communication. Um, then you want to listen. You want to let the patient know that you do something with, with the information that they hear or she gives you and that you're open to receive their problems. If you ask questions about, well, is this working for you? Is this not working for you? Okay. And then you just go and give them the same thing over and over again. Well, then they're just not going to bother telling you anything. They're going to say, well, here's somebody who may be asking me something, but I really don't think that they care because they're not really listening to what it is that I'm saying. So listen. And then... React to it. Be accessible. Okay? Be there for your patients. If your patient wants to sit down and talk with you, this is important. This is important to their lives. This is important to their health. Be accessible. Be ready to be there for your patients. By definition, that's, that's what our titles are as caregivers. We need to be able to provide that care to our patients, and we can't do that if we're not accessible. Um, create a website for your business and keep it up to date. This is an incredibly important tool. This is a great way for us to uh, provide information about ourselves, our business, uh, things that we may be doing. In addition to that, you can create a newsletter service which customers can subscribe to. Um, Zoom Out Natural Care, I know that you guys have a newsletter, a, a monthly newsletter that you put out, as well as you have a Facebook site. And that Facebook site, and we have a Facebook site as well, is a great way for customers to stay up to date on the latest information on what's going on with you. Um, I take my Google Gmail and I set my Gmail alerts and if anybody doesn't know how to do this, come up to me after the session and I'll show you how to do it. It's fairly simple. But every time an article hits the wire or the web that has marijuana, medical marijuana, Montana medical marijuana, I get an email from Google that gives me a link to all of those news stories, blogs, um, any anything that comes out. So I can read through that and say, oh, you know what, this is good information that I want to provide for my patients. This is customer service. I'm providing them education and information, and it's something that they may not have even thought about, something that may, they may not know. So providing these newsletters and these services is another way that we can provide this high level and high degree of customer service for our patients. Feedback. Um, one point I wanted to make was uh, some of you, especially if you're larger caregivers, larger operations, sometimes it is difficult to have a great deal of time to really do the one-on-one -on -one with patients. 
As a smaller caregiver, I don't really have an issue with this. But still, for some of this, I have forms. Um, especially a new patient or a patient using a new strain that they're unfamiliar with. Um, I have, it's just a very, very simple little form. It's kind of an evaluation. How did this medication work for you? And I get back in touch with them because a lot of people, they'll take the paper home. Oh, how cool you have this, Pam. And then I never see it again. Um, so I touch bases with them. Hey, you know, last week when you were here, I gave you a little piece of paper to tell me how this was working for you. Um, do you have a little piece of paper? And 97% of the time they don't. And then I say, well, I have another one right here. You, would you mind if we just sat here for one second? And, and you can just rate this one to ten for me. How did it do? Or, you know, it's just you know four or five significant questions. And then if they want to have a talk with me about that stuff, I'm happy to do it. But for some people, it really does work better. Now we kind of touched on this a little bit. The second tip that we have here is for exceeding customer expectations. Because, you know, it's very easy for us to just kind of do the baseline, you know, just, uh, you know, grow and provide our cannabis for our patients. And, but if we're able to actually exceed the expectations that our customers have when they come into our, in, into our businesses, then we're going to go far. Customers become really happy when they get more than they paid for. This thing of perceived value. If they're getting more value than they're perceiving they're paying for, they're incredibly happy about that. And it's a great way to develop customer loyalty. They perceive more value for the same price. Okay? It's not difficult to exceed the expectations of customers. It's pretty simple, as a matter of fact. The only thing that you have to do is get a very, very clear understanding of the minimum expectations of your customers and then exceed those expectations. Very, very, very simple. The third tip that I have here is actually focusing on feedback. Um, our customers are a wonderful, wonderful resource for us. Just like Pam's uh, sheet that she has there, it's always good to get feedback from your customers. This is invaluable. Uh, large corporations spend you know, tens and thousands of dollars and millions of dollars probably on, uh, on, on surveys and feedback and, and, and all these different types of things. Customer satisfaction indexes or CSIs are huge. Uh, with large corporations, they pay a lot of money for it. We can get that, that same feedback from our customers for free simply by asking them or having a form like Pam has. You want to let your customers help you enhance your service and performance. Just ask for feedback. Okay? What do your patients think of your service and what are the points that could be improved? What are the, please tell me, what are the things that I'm doing well and what are areas that you think that I could use some improvement on? And then take that information and implement and once again, it comes back to this, taking action, okay? Follow through is fundamental. If your patients tell you that you're, you know, they don't like this thing that you're doing or this thing could be improved or maybe this could be different or, you know, this strain or this, that, and the other thing or, you know, if you get feedback from all of your patients that a particular strain is just not working for them, well, how many of us are going to continue to grow that strain? Mm, it probably wouldn't be a wise business move for us, right? So... If you don't take action with the feedback that you get, then it's all for naught. You wanna, you, once you have a sense of how well you're doing, it's time to translate the feedback into action. Uh, feedback without action is a waste of your time and your customer's time as well. Tip number five here is important. I, I believe that what we're doing here today, each and every one of us being involved in this symposium, is beginning to do this exact thing. 
creating a culture of customer service. Because if I, as a caregiver, have a culture of customer service, and Pam has a culture of customer service, and Logan has a culture of customer service, and we're all kind of doing this, then it's going to affect our industry, and it will start to, as the flywheel spins, gain momentum. Okay? Uh, Putting customer feedback into play depends upon the training and culture that you instill in your employees. You want to talk about your customers, share problems of customers with other caregivers in the industry, and don't forget to share best practices. Okay? If something that I'm doing is working incredibly well for me, I don't want to just hold on to that information and be selfish about it. I want to share it with other caregivers. That's why we have symposiums just like this, so that we can share all of our best practices with each other. That makes us much, much stronger as an industry. Sharing successful actions and how a patient has perceived the action can be the best motivation for a colleague to copy this behavior. Like I said, this is catchy. If we're all doing this and it's all working really well and my business is succeeding because of the things that I'm doing, well, if this caregiver over here is struggling and he's not doing those things, he's probably going to want to get on board and start doing some of those types of things. And it just makes us as an industry much better and much stronger and much more legitimate. Creating a culture of customer service will not work if you only talk about it with your colleagues uh, in the practice. You need to formalize it in your caregiving practices and policies and strategies. Um, a lot of this has to do with business ethics. Okay, The MMGA has a standard of ethics. We as businesses should have standards of ethics that we hold ourselves to. And as an industry, if we're able to affect other caregivers within our industry to bring them up, we can raise those standards of ethics for everybody which legitimizes us as an industry and makes us much more sustainable to our communities. Pam, you want to talk about this a little bit, I think? We do have a code of ethics, um, and, and I really thought about just bringing it with me and reading it off to you. It's three pages of you know kind of dry reading, but, but it's very, very valuable information. And in the end, I kind of decided that maybe the best thing to do would be just to talk about some of the ethical behaviors. Um, we all kind of know what is not ethical. That's pretty cut and dry. You know, we know that if caregivers are out there saying that this is a quarter ounce but it only weighs six grams, they're not behaving ethically. They're not behaving honestly. Because if, if I divide 28 grams into fourths, it doesn't come out six. So we have a lot of those behaviors out there, and, and it does go back to the feedback as well. Um, I recently acquired two new patients myself that came from a caregiver who didn't return phone calls. Um, you know, a lot of caregivers in this business also, uh, we're acquiring patients because caregivers are vanishing. Um, and a lot of this is happening because of unethical behavior. Um, one particular caregiver in the Great Falls area was doing legal in the front, illegal in the back business. That caregiver just vanished and had over 100 patients. It's very, very important that we legally, legally is just, it's big, it's blatant, and you wouldn't think that it needs to be said, but still it does, because this is a new industry that has been a backdoor industry. We've been in the, in the illegal realm for decades now. And so now we have to create a model by which legal and ethical business can be conducted in the area of cannabis. 
And so it's a challenge for some people to even understand how we can be legal and ethical providers of a substance that for the past several decades has been an illegal substance. But ethics are ethics. To be able to provide honest service is, is to be able to provide ethical care. To be consistent in your service. Um, I'm pretty good this week, but next week I'm just going to have to short you. Um, all of these standards are things that we do need to think about, that we need to apply in our business lives and give our industry a more viable public face if we want to be able to keep our jobs and our industry alive in this country. Um, I really wish I had brought the code of ethics. <laughs> <laughs> because I honestly did not bring that here. Um, but I think that we have all seen the, the negative and positive impacts of both unethical and ethical behavior in our industry. Um, you know, things such as medicating in public. Yes, it's legal. Yes, it's, there are many times when we have to do that. But we can try to get away from the public face and not, not be blowing it into our elderly citizens as they're walking down the sidewalk's face. All of these things are considered ethical behavior. I think I'm going to turn it back over to you. One of the things that's, that's really important for us to remember, too, in, in creating this culture of customer service is that, is that ethical practices okay, are something that... that that are important for us, not just for our industry, to legitimize our industry, but think about what happens in, in the newspapers and the televisions all the time, okay? If we're not providing excellent customer service and ethical business practices, the newspapers love those stories where there's a caregiver who was doing something illegal or, you know, even somebody who's dissatisfied, okay? People love to hear those stories in the papers and the newspapers and the, and the television stations in the state right now would love to take those stories and, and run with them, okay? If we create a culture of customer service and ethics and there's not as much of that going on, well, then there's not as much of that that's going to be reported on, okay? And, little, and slowly, our industry will become more and more and more legitimate in the eyes of the general public. And the last tip here, tip number six, is to make it personal. Uh, we have to remember that, that as caregivers or dispensary owners, or business owners, okay? We're, we're not only representative of our organizations, but we're individuals, just like the patients that we service, okay? Our patients appreciate personal contact. We even have patients, I'm sure that each and every one of us have patients that come in, maybe not even to bar purchase medicine, but just to come in and say hi, and to chat, and to hang out for a little while, okay? We're human beings. We all need that interpersonal contact, those relationships. That's what makes us human. Okay? If we remember that, and we remember that and implement that into our customer service policies and procedures, that will go very, very, very far for us. The last slide that I have right here is um, customer service to our communities, because I want to talk just a little bit about not just customer service for our patients and for the people that we caregive for, but also the communities which we all live and work in. We are all members of our individual respective communities. I live in Missoula. 
I'm going to go to the grocery store and run into my mayor, my city council people, um, people that go to church. I particularly don't, but I don't have anything against those people who do. Um, it's really important for us to remember that and to remember what kind of an image that we portray to the community. Um, what's going to be acceptable in, in the city of Missoula may not be acceptable business practices in Billings or Great Falls or Bozeman. And it's very important for us to look at our respective communities and, and interact with our communities in a way that is conscientious, thoughtful, and understanding of our communities. Um, probably uh, uh, a lot of these places are in California, but, you know, a marijuana McDonald's, okay, that's probably not going to fly in Billings, is it? You know? Um, it's probably not going to be good in Haver. It's probably not going to be okay in Kalispell or Whitefish, you know? Um, could we get away with it in Missoula? Maybe. You know, they probably are not going to put any kind of sign ordinances and things like that. But is that the kind of image that we really want to portray in our industry? Our industry is in its infancy. It's incredibly important for us, each and every one of us, we have the responsibility of showing the right face to our community, providing that customer service to our communities. Um, because this, I, I've said it many times, we're in our infancy and we need to ensure that this industry remains viable to the people in the state of Montana. There's, there's overwhelming support for us. There's 99 house districts in the state, or 100 house districts in the state of Montana. Okay? When Initiative 148 passed, there were only seven house districts in the whole state that voted for Initiative 148 by a measure of 52% or less. There were only three house districts in the whole state that voted for it by a measure of 50% or less. The, the, the largest house, or the house district that voted for Initiative 148 by the highest percentage is House District 99 in Missoula. Well, where would you think that is? Probably the college district, right? Nope, it wasn't. It was the older portion of town. And 79.1% of the people in that district voted for it, almost 80%. So there's support already out there for us. Let's just not ruin that support. Let's be conscious of the people who are quietly supporting us and not offend those people. We have, we have a responsibility to our communities, to our patients, and to each other to be able to provide that, that uh, level of customer service for, for everybody. In Montana, we're fortunate enough that medical marijuana has really become mainstream, but we're strangely closet mainstream. You know, in, in the patient bases of not only my own patients, but some other that I'm, others that I'm aware of, we have, we have public employees as patients. Every walk of life are our patients or even caregivers. A number of us were professionals in some other area before we started in medical cannabis. But the image we project, if you really think about this, when you look at any one of these signs up here, do you immediately think medicine or do you immediately think pot? There is a difference. Yeah. Yeah, this makes you think, ooh, I could get some pot there. It doesn't make you think that's where I could go to get my medicine. So I just thought that I would put that in there as part of the appearance, not only our physical appearance, um, but also the appearance of our business. You know, you, you, can, you can do these things in some of the areas in Montana, but 
often you're going to be just as well, if not better served, by putting something up on your sign that says, we provide medical marijuana. So basically, in conclusion here, customer service is a vital part of what we do every day. We need to take advantage of every opportunity to provide the highest level of customer service to your customers, to our community, and if you do those things, I guarantee you that your business is guaranteed to succeed. So thank you very much for coming. I'm going to open it up now for questions. Does anybody have any questions, comments? What questions do we have? Yes, the Marine in the back, Devil Dog. Why do they call it pot? Why do they call it pot? You know, that's a great question. I don't even know. <laughs> I do not know. I know where marijuana came from, but I don't know pot. <laughs> anybody have any idea? No? Okay. What other questions do we have? Okay. Well, my name, once again, is Talon Lang. I'm the chapter director in Missoula. This is Pam Burchard. I'm here for questions. If you have any, um, I'd be more than happy to answer them. And uh, looks like we're going to wrap up in enough time for everybody to get over next door where they're having the breakout about testing, um, testing cannabis. So that's a great, great breakout as well. Thank you guys very much for coming. Showing up. This is uh, a okay. seminar on road room safety and business operations. Um, going over different things that you can do to take care of your grow room, make sure it's safe and a pleasant place to be where you don't have risks of electrocuting yourself or hurting yourself in your grow room. Try to make it as safe as possible because the safer you are, the safer your neighbors will feel, even if they don't know what you got going on knowing that you've got the proper steps in place to help prevent your place from being burglarized or broken into or catching on fire or so forth. Um, make this an enjoyable experience for everybody. I'd like to introduce a couple of people. We have over here Randy Stewart, who is um, with Allied and uh, InterNACHI Mold Inspections and Home Inspections. And we've got uh, JP, who isn't here, or yeah, JP, who isn't here right now, but he should be here. He sells insurance out of Denver, Colorado, and there he comes. But uh, he'll be able to answer any questions you have regarding insurance that you can get on your own crops and whatnot. And we've got John here, and uh, his friend Tiffany will be around somewhere. And they're with uh, Rolling Numbers. They do tracking of medicine. And... Uh, nice layouts so if you don't have the time or whatever to keep track of your medicine your plants patients not these people can do it for you and charge you a fair price to make sure you're up on everything so you're all legal i guess i'll start things off by uh just i'm grant Redfield once again i've been in the construction business for about 18 years i've been doing caregiving for a little bit over a year I've been pretty successful, and I contributed half of a little bit of that to the fact that I understand basic electrical. You know, I know that when I'm dealing with electrical, it needs to be properly done. You know, there's a lot of people that know ways of cutting corners and putting pennies in fuse boxes, especially the older ones, to make them work so they're not blowing fuses. You know, we need to make sure that when we're dealing with electrical issues and whatnot, that, you know, everything is up to code safe and whatnot. Uh, building structures aren't falling down. But um, security, I think, is one of the first things we should really start with talking about grow room safety. Um, security can start with just being as simple as a stage three 
good lock and deadbolt system. Some people have a pretty secure area where there really isn't any ways of getting into that area but through a door. If it's a good, solid door, but a good, <coughs> solid box that can withstand the types of entry forces that people can inflict on them, you're better off you know, to invest a little extra money into a good lock that can withstand a sledgehammer taking a whack at it than buying a cheap lock, which are much more inferior and way easier to break into. There is price differences, obviously, and the costs on these locks, but as far as locks concerned and the door and a deadbolt, it's really insignificant, pretty simple to install in an individual just to give a little more peace of mind. Going up from locks and deadbolt type of thing, you're looking at maybe a security system, which is a really good idea. Um, camera security, having surveillance system around your area, inside your system is not a bad idea. It's a little money to throw down, but it can be a big piece of mind. There's been there's been an incident already, I believe it was this year. Um, I can't remember exactly where it happened, but a guy went around, he heard some disturbance backside of his house where his growth facility was. When he went to go see what was going on, he got hit over the head with a crowbar, I believe I believe he died. And you know it's really unfortunate. Because there are going to be people that have bad intentions on their mind, and they don't care who you are or whatever. They want to break into your system and steal something, whether it be your equipment or your product itself. Um, this guy could have maybe saved himself, saved his life, had he had a security system monitored, you know, security cameras to where he could have looked on a monitor and seen what was going on, and rather than going around to investigate it himself, call the police and let them come to deal with it properly. <laughs> You know, there's other, as far as security cameras go, you know, depending on the money you want to spend, you can get just a monitor that has several cameras that are wired together to the monitor, and you can see what's going on. You can play some strategic areas where people can either come in or susceptible areas of being broken into. Uh, to go a little further, you can get better camera systems that are wireless, of course, these cost more money, but they also offer you a little bit more peace of mind considering you don't have to be in that particular area to see what's going on with your camera system. Being wireless, you can get on your laptop or if you have uh, your phone, which is um, internet capable, you can get on the internet through that. And no matter where you are, as long as you have an internet signal, you can see what's going on around your grow room and your facility. So you can check on it constantly have that peace of mind. You can upgrade it even further and go with alarm systems. A lot of alarm companies offer systems where they'll give you a, a door alarm that covers your main door exits, and entrances and whatnot, windows, uh, motion detectors and whatnot. So if somebody does happen to break into your place through the one window that you might have or the one door that you do have, alarms will be going off. Even if you're not there, they're pretty... They're pretty loud and annoying alarms, so even if you're not there, somebody's going to hear this, unless you live in the middle of nowhere. Your neighbors are going to hear it. Somebody's going to hear it. It's going to get their attention what the hell's going on. You know, Not to mention that they, a lot of these security systems automatically will notify the police or uh, emergency services to let them know that something's going off if this alarm hasn't been canceled off uh, after a certain amount of time. Going a little bit further with that, 
as far as some of them even offer security cameras themselves in which they can integrate it into your uh, alarm system. So just as like having a separate security camera system that you can go through, you can also sub these out and get these through with these same alarm services like ADT, uh, security. Those are a couple of places in the Great Falls anyways that offer the services. Um, we actually have a wireless system. It's a four camera. It's a four camera setup with one monitor, which is nice because our grow is not in our house. Um, so the remote access is really handy. I think Brandon bought the entire setup for about a thousand bucks. They're not that expensive. And the other thing that we just figured out that's also awesome because the grow is remote. Um, he could train one of the cameras onto the temperature sensors. So at any time, like, you can also have that added peace of mind of, like, knowing that your temperatures are sound, like, that things are ticking along nicely. Like, you can check it first thing in the morning and then go take a shower and eat breakfast before you actually have to go to work. And the other thing is, we have a lot of motion sensor lights. Those are pretty cheap. I think you could get them for less than 100 bucks. And that, like, that horrible story about the guy with the crowbar, going out in the dark, not awesome, man. Yeah, these are pretty weird times where a lot of people know what's going on, but, you know, there's a lot of bad people out there that have this one through their minds, you know, and so whatever you could do to make it harder for them to try to get into your facility or to get your product is, you know, whatever you can afford to do is better than nothing, you know. Uh, try to protect yourself, you know, and of course you want to try to protect yourself because if you go get hurt or something happens to you, you know, you've got patients that are depending on you, you've got plants that are going to be lost, you know, there's so many things that tie into it as far as just, you know, life and money and whatnot, that it's worth the investment, it's worth the little money, it's worth looking into at least to make sure that you're doing what you can do to not only protect yourself, protect your patients, and also maybe in the long run it'll help your neighbors feel safer that you're taking the steps necessary to show that hey I care enough for not only myself and my patients but to provide as much of a safe area for my neighborhood or wherever your location may be. Um, also in talking with the security systems a lot of times insurance companies will offer like uh, when I had mine installed I got a whole lot than five percent or ten percent off my insurance uh, premium, which is doesn't amount to a whole lot, but it's something. You know, it's better than nothing. And uh, JP here could probably answer that question for you down the road here at the end when it comes down to it. He deals with insurance and he can insure all your crops and whatnot. I don't know if he deals with that particular type of thing, but okay. So um, he can talk to you a little bit more about that as well. Um, moving on, we'll talk a little bit about electrical. Um, I'm not an electrician, but being in the field, like I said, like I've been in, I've seen enough crap happen with people just trying to, you know, get by with what they think is okay and using inadequate wiring and run big systems off of fuse boxes that, you know, were set up in homes back in the 50s when most people just had an ATV and a radio and a light, you know. Here you are trying to run five, six hundred watt lights off that same breaker. Usually isn't going to work. And a lot of those older breakers, especially ones that use like the old screw and type fuses, are prone to blowing. And, uh, you're just really better off getting a hold of a, a certified electrician and having a look at the unit, and make sure that it's going to be sufficient enough to do what you want to do 
can't say enough about that. Uh, you know, there's people that I haven't heard too much of fires going on, which is good. I mean, I've heard there's been a couple fires, and the one I really did hear about sounded like people were using a lot of extension cords, long extension cords, running them because they didn't have proper outlets. You know, wrong, long extension cords aren't the answer to anything because you can't hook up a lot of high-power devices to an extension cord and expect that to handle that kind of power. Typically, they're not designed for that in most applications where a lot of times people don't have the type of, the right type of electric extension cord to plug in those devices. So when you do, you really need to know what you're looking at. And if you're not sure, talk to an electrician to make sure that he can set you up on what is the proper way to go. Usually, if you can get away, with extend, get away without using extension cords, that's the way to go. I mean, you don't really need extension cords. If you can't get something to reach an outlet, See if you can get an electrician down in there to hook up another outlet in your room so everything can reach an outlet. Yes? Uh, say you have to use an extension cord for the next month until you can afford to pay an electrician. What would you recommend? Like, what, what, I don't think weight is the right word for electrical current, but like what? Well, you know, what, what would be a safe temporary or a safer temporary solution? Well, it kind of depends on how much power you're running through it. I mean, the gauge of wire is a big determinant. A smaller gauge is not going to handle nearly as much current as a bigger gauge wire. So you need to, that's part of it. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm not really an electrician. I don't deal with that much too much. So I don't like to, I would, you know, I would talk to somebody, you know, figure out how much power you're running and what you need to run all these extension cords and talk to somebody who can hook you up with the proper time so you're not flying up your extension cord and causing short. Well, there are different types of extension cords, of course, and uh, and commercial bases, uh, uh, SO or SA cords, SO cords, oil and laying on the ground, and temporary power, and that sort of thing. So, the age is correct, you know, 16 amps or under, or something in that area, right? That's 10. Also, the, the insulation on the extension cord that you use. Yeah, I that plays a factor. Especially if it's running like outside. If it's, if it's all inside, that's a different thing. If you've got it running from an outside area to inside, that's a whole other situation there, too. You want something that's you know, weatherproof, of course. But mainly, you, you want to know how much you know power you're going to be needing to run through those and just. Talk to somebody, make sure that what you have hooked up to them is too much of a load on those extension cords. Because what will happen is those extension cords can't fry and just yeah. catch on fire. Um, the fire doesn't set off the breaker, you know, it can cause a fire. That's also bad. That's, that's not a good thing. So, but um, try to keep your. I try to keep my outlets up off the ground. Did my room, I put my outlets actually on the ceiling because that's where a lot of my electrical equipment is. And my whole area is concrete. So I really don't worry too much about fire except for the devices that you know, would obviously have an electrical problem of some sort because things do happen. And uh, it's good to know that at least in my area there isn't a bunch of wood and paper and all that stuff to catch on fire and really cause a tremendous big fire. But Fire is fire, and smoke can cause damage just as much as the fire. 
but I try to keep my outlets up high. That way, my stuff can plug into it. It's, all my lights are up high. My fans are up high. So I keep my outlets where I can plug everything into without having to use extension cords. I used GFI outlets, even though it might be a little bit overboard. GFI is basically a type of outlet you use for where water is being used so it can trip off in case there's a shock like that. Um, I just did it for a preventative measure. It was like 6 $7 extra per outlet, but just for my own peace of mind, I went that route. Um, keeping them up over my head not only keeps my walkways clear so I'm not having to worry about tripping over wires, maybe unplugging something that I don't want to come unplugged or knocking something over on myself or on my plants or something. Keeping all that up off the ground really helps just as far as your walking room, giving you a safe walking area so you're not tripping over stuff. It makes it nicer to go into your grow room too, not knowing that, hey, this is a pain in my butt, you know, I gotta get these dumb cords on tangled to my foot every time I walk Keep stuff off the floor and picked up. Not to mention that you'll, you'll be failed electrically if you have to energy things. Probably. Oh, yeah. Good oh, point. Yeah. Somebody was talking about the OSHA yesterday and brought that up. Yeah, not, not even OSHA. I mean, just an electrical inspector. You're you know, building you know, inspectors. Any kind of inspector. Yeah, you have to meet code. Yeah, a mysterious world still. And if you have, yeah. even if you have an even if we, like, we had an inspector come in and um, he wasn't an electrical inspector, but they all work together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he let he let us know that that's not you know that's not acceptable, and I'm mm-hmm. going to let the electrical or fire I think it's fire code let let them know. So yeah, they all yeah. work together. So if one of them sees something in the town, they're like, uh oh. So extension cords are bad. Even somebody said you treat your plant your medicine like babies. If you look at it, a nursery or a daycare or they're outlawed. You cannot use extension cords in any kind of health facilities. So they're just no, no. Yeah, and it kind of go, it kind of goes in with that too, you know, as as far as you know, keeping your grow room clean and uh, picked up. I mean, they they kind of go hand in hand, you know, yeah. as far as your electrical and everything. You know, keep your wires, you know, don't have your wires hanging all over the damn place. Keep that stuff picked up, organized. Where if you do have a problem with something, you're not having to shuffle through a bunch of wires trying to figure out which one it is. Plug the right unit. Keep that stuff organized, out of the way, out of your hair, off the floor if you can. You know, I mean, if you had all the ideal situation in the perfect world, we'd have everything designed to where it was just beautiful to begin with. But a lot of us were working with what we have to work with. They're not most of the time the most ideal situation. But, you know, you still do what you can do to keep it picked up. You know, if you have to have wires on the floor, tape them down or something. Uh, lay up. And if you have just a temporary situation, I would. I, I know they frown more upon extension cords than they do like power strips. So if you can put a power strip in and and like secure it and make like it look. Breaker, the same way like yeah, yeah. They're still not the. There's no. still not no solve all. You know, I mean, yeah, basically, no, no, it still comes down to you know you still need to have the proper. You know, not having too much stuff connected to that outlet. You know, just because you have six. Openings for a power strip doesn't mean you can plug 600, <laughs> six, 1,000 watt lights. That's six extension cords. Come on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My mom was a firefighter, so I learned a lot about the danger yeah. of electrical fire. This lady hit on a very, very good point, though. Is, uh, is if you run a, have a business in the medical marijuana community, then whatever uh, you do, you need to get permits for it. And when you get permits, then, uh, then you get inspections and they 
those inspectors are there for a reason. Yeah. They're there to make sure that you have the same. Well, that kind of depends on where you live, too. Um, yeah. And no, you have the Cascade area. It's the Cascade of Montana. You still have to get your permit. You still yeah. have to go with it. Actually, no, that's not true. Um, in the state of no, it's Mont not true. Montana, only for commercial property do you have to get permits outside the city limits. Inside the city limits, you have to get for everything. Well, you'll have to look that up with your state legislature or something, sir. Uh, but yeah. County laws follow different ordinances than city laws. Uh, you still, there still are electrical ordinances that must be followed in county laws, and it might change from county to county. But I know in Cascade County, the only thing they really definitely check on when you're doing something in the Cascade County area is electrical. Uh, you can get away with quite a bit else, you know. But when it comes to electrical, that's the one thing they really do uh, do an inspection on and try to make sure that that's. Do you like fire inspection? Um, only time you need inspections is when you're messing with plumbing or electrical. I just had my house completely remodeled, roof, soft, and and fascia. 1905 7th Avenue South, right by Great Falls High. New siding, doors, windows. We even had to replace structural framing underneath it that had rotted out. And I did not have to get a building permit. The only reason why they want you to get a building permit is so when you remodel your house, they can raise your taxes. Well, no, that's not necessarily true, but... I, I understand what you're saying. I guess I'm not familiar with all the laws of Montana. Yeah, and they vary from city to city, county to county, state to state. Yeah. Right, right. Now, I come from the East Coast, and there's not, a, there's not a county in, on the East Coast. In essence, he's right. If you're messing with electrical, get a yeah. permit, get it inspected, and have a license. Yeah, it, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea just when you do that stuff, just to call and make sure. You know, I mean, the laws do change from area to area, state to state for sure, but it wouldn't be a bad idea just, you know, if you do some electrical call, electrician or call an inspector if you feel that way and have them come and check it out to make sure you're all right. That sure doesn't hurt anything. You know, it's better safe than sorry. Yeah, because it'll come back. Whether, and it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, I'm sure you're saying right and too, you got but plumbing for commercial. Or you need drains and stuff like that. Yes, you know, commercial sure. A friend of mine, the guy that remodeled yeah. our house, built a storage facility out on Canyon Ferry Lake. Yeah, no, I get it. Commercial, residential, I, I understand. Because he rented it out commercially, he then had to go do some stuff to bring it up to code yeah. because it was commercial. Somebody else is Can using it. Can I ask a question, y'all? Um, say you've got a licensed electrician and everything's up to code, but you didn't bother calling the permit dude. <laughs> um, how, do you get in trouble for that? that? Like when they come in and look? A licensed electrician, if he's doing it, he will make you get a permit and get yeah. inspected because he doesn't want his license messed with. And he, he doesn't, doesn't want to get be sued if something goes wrong. Exactly. And he they should get, make it. Yeah. He should. <laughs> you can get a buddy to do it if you want. Exactly. Well, and and if, they, if the city catches you, they can slap a cease and desist order on you. And those inspectors will start messing with you then. And then there'll be back fines and yes. it's just not worth it. Oh, my gosh, that sucks. Well, yeah, depending on the kind it. of works that's done, it, that's done, if they can't visually see what he's been doing the whole time, you know, let's say you have an electrician go in and he does a bunch of work into your house and then it gets all sheetrocked and all that. Well, if they can't see and they can't tell exactly what all he's done, they might possibly even make you tear that sheetrock off and yeah. everything so they can't inspect it. So, you know, no, it's, it's visible and it, it basically mimics what was already there. Like, we just had to come in and put in GFI outlets everywhere. So, because Brandon's paranoid about fire too. And, um, I think that's mostly all he did. He boosted our amps a little bit and put in GFI outlets, but it was like it was already within the existing framework for the wiring. Like 
you still you need you just need to let somebody know and have it inspected. It's probably all good. But they're just gonna charge fifty bucks to come in and say da, 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 da. and if you're not, they're gonna tell you. Yeah. That's not a bad thing to get onto too is the fire prevention. I seem to have heard a lot of people talking about fire prevention, especially the ones that are not so much with the whole medical marijuana thing. And it's like they have this uh, ideology that this stuff just spontaneously combusts or something. <laughs> um, you know, most of the stuff's pretty good, well-built stuff. Uh, I, I haven't really spent much time looking at the cheaper, like, Chinese products and all that. But what I have seen, I haven't noticed anybody that's had problems with anything just catching on fire. But, you know, things do happen and, you know, mistakes do happen. But I think uh, it would probably be in everybody's best interest to have a fire extinguisher of some sort close to your area. And depending on the size of your facility, you know, keep fire extinguishers at hand, you know, to where you don't have to go running. If you have a 100-foot size building that you're doing your operation in, and you have a fire at one end, you don't have to go running all the way to that end to get a fire extinguisher and run back and put it out. Have several laid out throughout the shop or your system to where you have that access several different points. You know, and obviously, if you have a smaller area like this, maybe two would be good. And, uh, most fire extinguisher places that sell fire extinguishers and hook you up can make that assessment themselves as to how many you need for an area, uh, what type of extinguisher they can hook you up with, you know, the size. And if they're a decent reputable company, they should stay up on it and have you in some kind of database to where they can keep your uh, cylinders charged at all times because they don't stay good forever. I mean, I worked in a cabinet shop where, thank God, there wasn't a fire because the fire extinguishers were about two years past due and who knows if they would have even worked if there was a fire. So, And a lot of these places are supposed to keep up on that. I was going to say, again, you have to be inspected. Well, it doesn't mean that everybody does their stuff right. I mean, I guess. I mean, I don't know where you're from, but Great Falls, a lot of things get done. Well, I'm from Billings, but... Well, I'm sure it's not too much different, but there's a lot of things, you know, I don't know if it's just who they know or what they know, but a lot of things go on without being said. Hosed and... Hosed. Yeah, and just like my old boss, I mean, you know, he had enough going on. He last thing on his mind is probably wondering whether or not the two, three fire extinguishers he had in his building were still charged, but the company that he had them through obviously didn't care enough to have them in a database to where they weren't staying up with him and saying, okay, hey, pop in and check on your stuff. We need to get these recharged and swapped out. That needs to be done, you know? So if you have a company that you have fire extinguishers with and they haven't come by in the last couple years or whatever, you might want to give them a call and see what's up and start looking into a different because they should be doing that as a company. You know, that's part of their business. And, uh, you know, fire extinguishers are just the simple, easy, cheap way of, you know, ensuring that if something does happen, you have a way to put it out besides trying to fill up a bucket of water and throw it on it, which probably wouldn't be the best idea. Um, the next thing that I would probably suggest is there's a company called Flame Defender that has come out with pretty nice product. They have three different sizes of these uh, extinguishers available. What they do is they basically mount to a wall or a ceiling and they vary in size (laughs) covering from about a four foot radius to a seven foot, seven inch radius. And what they do is you mount them above like where your ballasts or your lights are, anywhere you're afraid of something that might break out in a fire. 
And like a sprinkler system, like a sprinkler head, if a fire does break out, these things hang over your, your systems, whatever you're trying to protect. And if a fire does break out, the temperature gets to 155, it breaks the, the little uh, safety thing, and it just blows all this, all the contents out of it onto, the, onto your product, which, yeah, probably is going to ruin your product. All your plants are going to have this dry chemical powder on them, you know, flame fire suppressant. But I think that's not too much to, pick, to ask for saving all your ballast, saving your room, and possibly saving your life and your house, whatever, wherever this is. I mean, a few hundred dollars of plants, maybe a broken light is nothing compared to what it really could be. Fires don't take very long. Within five minutes, you could have a fire big enough to where by the time a fire department comes, and they're dumping 100 to 200 gallons a minute into your house or your facility, you guarantee everything's going to be pretty much ruined. You know? So... Those are, and they're pretty reasonable priced. Uh, the small one, I believe, starts at about oh, $79, something like that, up to $150 for the bigger unit. And you can use them just like a sprinkler system. You can use them in conjunction uh, with suckers, spread them out throughout your facility. So, say you have a fairly good sized facility, you don't have the money to put into a big sprinkler system or a fire suppression system like that. This might be your alternative. You know, it's still going to cost you a couple hundred bucks or so, but at least you've got something put in place to give you some peace of mind. It works pretty well. They're rated for ABC fires, which means they can put out fires that are started with combustibles like papers and uh, products like that. B fires, which are uh, electrical, in which case, you know, obviously you don't want a bunch of water going on electrical fires. That doesn't really help anything, especially if you're in the room. And then see class fires as well which are chemical fires so it doesn't matter what kind of fire you have going on these things can put it out of course the next step up from that is like a sprinkler system and um, of course you're looking at a lot more money probably have more space a bigger facility if you're looking at something like that um, there's just like just like anything there's a lot of different systems out there you really have to just get on the internet browse around which one works best for you. A lot of sprinkler systems require a certified journeyman plumber coming in to a main water line and running black pipe around through everything and setting up the sprinkler systems. There are other ways of setting up sprinkler systems that are much better. There, um, there's actually a, a company called ChemMist that I'm trying to get in with as well as Black Eagle Fire Department uh, is trying to get in with this in Great Falls and uh, it's a self-contained fire suppression system that doesn't require any, don't need a plumber at all to hook up anything to this. All you need is a space big enough to set this unit. It's all self-contained, has its own water tank, has its own compressor to push the water through. Instead of using the galvanized black pipe and having to have somebody hook all that up, you can use the PEX pipe, which if you don't know what that is, it's a plastic pipe. It's much easier to use. It can expand up to 300 times its original size without bursting. So if maybe the area it's run through isn't the best insulated, it won't, more than likely it won't bust on the air break. So it's very simple to put in. Once the system's plopped down and your lines are run and sprinkler heads put in, all you have to do is plug this unit into the outlet and it's good to go. On top of it being better than a normal sprinkler system, normal sprinkler systems, 
just like the Flame Defender, they are gener geared to work at a certain temperature. The temperatures get up to a certain height, a glass device breaks inside, pops the spring head down and lets the water loose. Water just being sprayed out like a conventional sprinkler system. The way this chemist system works, it actually mists the water, makes it into a, a fine water vapor, which is proven that when a flame is burning, it's eating oxygen. That's what keeps a flame going, is oxygen, and obviously the more fuel around it, let it keep burning. But it's eating that oxygen. What they found is, is when these water molecules get, get mystified, they have air in them, and they get pulled to the flames. So instead of drenching the flame out, they're actually choking the flame out. They've had demonstrations with these units where they've had fine artwork hanging in the same rooms that, these, that they've set their fires off. Preserve the artwork because it doesn't just go splattering all over. It actually is drawn to the flames. So they're a little bit more pricey as well, but as far as their efficiency, their ease of use, I mean, you could be out in the boondocks as long as you have power. That's all you really need a generator of some sort, or even if you're just on great enough to have an outlet, that's all you need. You don't need a well or anything like that. I mean, they make it really well to where people in cabins. Doesn't matter where you have a meter system set up, one of these could really work wonders for you. Excuse me? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to still find that out. I was trying to contact the company before I came down here and I wasn't able to get an answer back, but um, I'm hoping to have some information on that real soon, especially with uh, uh, his name's Phil Descenda, he's with the Black Eagle Fire Department. He's the one who really got me interested on it. He does obviously firefighting, but I don't think they're too much more. If you know what a normal sprinkler system costs, I don't think they're too much more out of line than that. You know, they're pretty in line, just because even though the unit itself may cost a little bit more, the work and labor involved in hooking everything up is much less, so we can really save more. But uh, if you like, um, I'd have, I'd like to keep your name and number. Anybody has questions about this, I'd like to get. I get more information, I'd be more than happy to let you know what's going on. I haven't been learning how to do this for very long, it's about six months, but from what I've seen in like building a grow room, it seems like the biggest risk of fire is going to be electrical. So, should you go with the water based sprinkler system? Like, I mean, well, that's a good question. And uh, to answer that, you know, <laughs> I, I'm speaking of a water mist system here, but they also incorporate uh, CO2. Fire prevention, they use uh, uh, a different type of chemical mist, fire suppression. They've had these things hooked up in just about any type of facility factory that you can think of. Um, they have shipyards, oil refining uh, facilities, uh, technical um, electrical equipment facilities. So they're, they're using their, their range. I haven't, I haven't seen anything where they couldn't really be applied to. And they have different forms of uh, chemical that they can put in the tanks themselves so it's not always just water okay you, know, you can really get that set to whatever you want. this is jb this is the man with uh western point burns yeah, it's actually green plant insurance i have to run in about 10 minutes but i just wanted to kind of address a few things uh, i am based out of denver colorado we're in nine different states and i own a website called marijuana dispensaryinsurance.com um, i've had the opportunity of working with hundreds of dispensaries collectives bakeries growers uh, throughout the nine states 
and I've seen a lot of things going on. Um, you guys are really fortunate to be part of this organization. I can tell you that much. It's amazing. It's awesome what's going on in here um, because this is really setting the foundation of what's going to take place in this state going forward. And I saw it in Colorado, and I'm seeing a lot of similarities here. The good news is, in a lot of ways, you're ahead of us in Colorado. Even though in Colorado we now have licensed entities, these just think about this. These dispensaries, collectives, edibles manufacturers, growers are licensed by the state of Colorado. Takes out the ambiguities associated with this industry because when we first started in Colorado, a lot of our clients were kind of like you right now. Can I do this? Can I get insurance? Let's talk about the insurance. Yes, you can get insurance. These are all A-rated carriers. There's only five in the, in the world that do it. I guard them with my life. I'll tell you why. Because I don't want to have, have, have happen like in the banking industry, happen in the insurance industry, where banks say, you know what, we're not going to do any more medical marijuana accounts. Can you imagine if that happens in the insurance industry? Because insurance is that transfer of risk. You're talking about all these risks right now, fire, you know, all these things. Well, guess what? By having an insurance policy in place, it transfers that exposure over to the carriers. And that's amazing that that even exists. All righty. Types of products, crop insurance. So while they're in the various stages of growth, you have insurance. Professional liability, product liability. Let me give you some real life examples of what can go wrong. Okay? Real life. Um, had a situation out in California. Thieves broke in and stole all the patient records. Why do they do that? Identity theft. Okay? Is there coverage for that? Absolutely. Okay? Now, there's limitations, but there is coverage for it. Okay? Second example, we had a theft, already, whereby some employees decided to try to um, prevent a, um, a robbery. They got shot. Okay? That was a real issue, and there was some liability associated with that. Okay? A more recent example in Colorado where we've got now product liability um, and errors and emissions insurance coverage for this event, a dispensary was dispensing medication that was full of spider mites. A company called Kinda Reviews came in and said, you guys have spider mites all over your medicine, okay, and you're dispensing, you need to stop. Guess what? They didn't stop. They kept on dispensing it, and then it hit the newspapers, okay? Huge problem. Now, from an insurance standpoint, guess what? There's product liability, caregiver liability available, already, And that wasn't until recently, already. Think about that. I mean, this has never been done. And by the way, as caregivers, you guys aren't even licensed. But yet you've got insurance companies willing to provide you with a professional liability policy where somebody's not even licensed. That's really uncharted territory quite frankly, all righty? So bottom line is from your, because this is kind of the number one question, and, and this is what I'm kind of seeing up here. If you're contemplating or you're in a situation where you want to get insurance because you're now leasing commercial space, typically that's the number one reason. I want to get commercial space. you got to get insurance. We review all the leases. We can tell you all the pitfalls associated with that, all righty? But there's legitimate carriers that will do this. Okay. Um, my wife and I own the agency. We work extremely hard in this agency. 
I, I actually, uh, I'm actually doing a presentation in two weeks to Wall Street. It's called the Marijuana Conference. All righty? Go online and check this out. The Marijuana Conference. And you'll see who, who is the lineup of speakers, and I'm one of them, on what's going on in this industry. Think about that. You know? And one of the, my title of my talk is actually being in, embedded, embedded with the medical marijuana industry. Not embed, but it kind of sounds like that. And what I mean by that is, because I'm a webmaster, when I take a bit of code and I embed it into an application, it makes it work more efficiently. Just like Tom had mentioned earlier about having advocates for the industry. I'm an advocate. I'm actually not a medical marijuana patient.